Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. How to thrive in gifted relationships. Welcome friends to Someone Gets Me. And this week we're talking about relationships as a gifted person and with gifted people or with two gifted people. We're going to talk about relationships that have to do with intimacy and partnerships in work situations, in friendships, in all kinds of relationships where a gifted person comes into a relationship. I think sometimes we all believe or we're taught, especially in this culture, that it's just straightforward, one, two, three, heal your trauma, and and then you'll you'll be able to have a good relationship. Or if you haven't healed your trauma, it's going to be tricky. Well, there's more to it than that. In fact, this is so deep and multifaceted that I'm going to cover some of the most frequently asked questions. Now, I work often with one gifted person in the family that calls me, but I end up working with everybody. I have five or six individuals that I'm working with, and every one of them have brought in or are bringing in their spouse, their work partner, their business partners, or other friends to help understand what it's like being in that kind of relationship with somebody who's gifted and intensely sensitive. So the content of today's episode is going to be an amalgamation, if you will, of the most frequently asked questions, the things that I get those phone calls about, those things that come up in our meetings that really... um, are, are pretty universal when it comes to gifted people. And I think some of them also translate to neurotypical and others, but I'm really focusing here on the person who needs to be understood, isn't sure how to do it, maybe takes a risk and then doesn't know what the, what the, what the response is going to be. So we're going to cover big general topics and little stories in the middle to answer the questions of the people who I work with who have had situations in their relationships, whether again, whether they're their romantic partnerships or whether they're work relationships and they've had challenges and I've was sought for advice and counsel on those things. So if you are a gifted person and you're in any type of relationship, this episode's for you. If you're somebody who maybe is talented or not so gifted, or you don't think you are, um, then you might want to listen to it as well because you probably are and you probably have gifted people around you. So the first part I want to talk about here is vocabulary. A gifted person's vocabulary has different syntax, different use of words, and a different appreciation of different things that have to do with our vocabulary than another person. Now, if you have two gifted people together, they could have these vocabulary differences and have them be different differences. So things I mean are um, use of word. Um, one time I had a client whose whose spouse had a certain look on, on his face, you know, that meant he, she thought it meant he was angry. When I inquired, it meant he was thinking. 
So that was an affective vocabulary because vocabulary is just not words. Now, when it comes to words, that's very interesting because every word has multiple definitions and everybody uses the definitions differently. Gifted people tend to want to be very precise in their words because precision and correctness and justice are often core values of a gifted person. And so it matters that the word is used correctly. Now, I was raised by a gifted woman, and she always said, if you're going to use a word, know its definition, know its use. And you ought to be able to, as she would say, quote, cuss someone out using really high level words, and they don't figure it out for three or four days. So I learned a love for words when I was very young. I didn't realize my connection to them would turn into all the books I do and this podcast and the work I do. I didn't know that, of course, then, but I've always loved words. Many of my clients love words and they appreciate nuance of words, many of them. I work with some singers, songwriter people, and musicians. Uh, They're poets, right, with music with it, and their appreciation and love of words might be on a different plane than another person who is not creative in that same way, who might creative be creative with color or visual arts. So words matter. I remember one time um, I had a roommate and it was right after college, I believe. And, and um, this person, she was really into color and she was into fashion design. I was not. I was into sailing, the weather, I could give you the nuance of the wind and as we call it in sailing, the breeze, I could do all of that. I could do the colors of nature really well, but understanding a yellow undertone or a blue undertone or other different variances, whether it's warm or cool, all of that at the time was not anywhere in my radar. I didn't even know what it meant. And so one day she was looking through a catalog as we did back in those days, and was trying to choose a red blouse to wear. And she had two of them in the catalog she liked, and she was going back and forth, back and forth. And so I inquired, what were you trying to decide on? Like, I was curious because I could tell she was really thinking about this. And she was, well, I don't know if I want the red with the blue undertone or the red with the yellow undertone. And here I'm thinking she's thinking of the neckline, right? I didn't even know what that meant. So I asked her what it meant and she explained it to me and now I can see it. So if you're the gifted person and you're using words or language or your vocabulary set in a way that the listener may not be familiar with, you might want to check in with them. If you're the listener, as in this case, I was the listener and the language set is something that doesn't totally land on you like, I don't know what this is. Rather than running into our ego and acting like we should know, it's totally the correct thing to do to ask, what do you mean? What are you looking for? What do you see? I have another friend of mine who is a great visual artist, designer person. She can see things and and like no measurements of things from one place to another in a way I have I've never seen. I know other people have that gift too. I don't have it. I, I can tell you if I like it when I see it. <laughs> That's as far as it goes. So those use of vocabulary words in that way of processing and how it translate into, 
translates into your gift and into your world are going to be different. So say you are in a romantic relationship with somebody and you use words that are trigger words for them. I had a boyfriend one time and he kept saying he appreciated me. And every time he said it, I, I jumped like that. It was, it was not, not a nice word for me. He didn't know it. And at the time, I wasn't really totally clear why I didn't like that word. And then I realized that I was raised by a father that every time he said he appreciated me, he was typically buzzed and or already drunk. But every time he said, Diane, I appreciate you, I was about to be verbally abused or harmed or cut down. So that was a precursor word to trauma. So then as an adult, when I heard that word, it triggered me. Now that I've done a lot of healing around that over the years, because this is years ago I'm talking about, I um I don't get triggered by the word appreciate. So when a client or someone says they appreciate me, I don't get that that jumpy feeling of what's wrong. So it's important that we understand in any relationship, especially a marriage, especially as close partnership with, and where there's romance and connection involved. We want to make sure that the words we're using align with the person who's hearing them. And same thing if somebody uses a word that is not so friendly to you, but it's friendly to them and they don't understand your biography, your history, your triggers. Vocabulary is so important. So double check your words sometimes or ask your listener what they mean, what they hear you saying or, or what things mean to them. Appreciate language usage. And um, I can always tell gifted people when we're on a roll because we use three syllable words comfortably in a sentence. And a 15 year old I was working with, and he comfortably used the word anthropomorphic in a sentence to describe something that was happening at school. Now, that's not a word a lot of 15 year olds use comfortably in a sentence as part of just the flow of, of conversation. And so, and not, I know a lot of adults that don't know what anthropomorphic means. And so, if you ever hear a word and you're not 100% sure on the motive, the meaning, and the intent of the use, and so many words have different meanings, it's important that you ask and you inquire in a respectful way. And that if you're the speaker, you pay attention to the eyes and the mannerisms of the person so you know. Now, also, a consideration here is people who are multilingual. Musicians think in music and then they speak. Artists usually think in color and then they speak. Somebody who knows more than one verbal language thinks in their primary language and then translates into the language they're using. I have a client who who speaks four or five languages and is often translating in, in her mind between her primary language and her most common secondary language. I have another gentleman I work with who has to do the same thing in reverse, right? And so different languages have different words for different things. And English is the most restrictive of all of them, of all of the romance languages. So when I'm working with somebody who speaks Spanish or French, we'll use those two as examples, then their language set, their vocabulary, their ability to express things is different than somebody who's only an English-speaking person because of the use of the words and the nuance and the way things are expressed in other languages. So if your partner is multilingual in any form, 
and you're multilingual in forms, then it's always important as you grow and learn and evolve in your relationship to keep checking in on how those words are being used. What's the importance of them? Because as you grow and heal and change, and as they grow and heal and change, or not, right, in both cases, then the use of words is going to evolve and grow and change as well. So vocabulary is extremely, extremely important. A practice I have is a practice of listening with my heart and my ears to the person. And then I use their words, the kinds of words they use, to speak. And so if they say, you know, that they see something and they're really paying attention to color and nuance and what they visually see, then I'm going to go into what I see. I'm going to use those language, those words in my language, because it makes for better rapport. So again, if you don't have rapport with somebody or you're confused about what they're saying, or you just want to clarify, please speak up. If you're the gifted person and you're not feeling heard or understood, make sure that there's a meeting of the minds in whatever vocabulary set that you're using because it's very important. It's very important. To be heard is one of the core human needs. So if I'm not being heard, then I want to take responsibility for my part and making sure I'm communicating clearly, but I also want to have a way to check in with the listener. There's more on that, but that's enough for now. The second big category here on how to thrive in gifted relationships is paying attention to your own needs and other people's needs. Whether, again, whether it's, you know, intimate partnership, friendship, work relationships, any relationship, paying attention to the other person's needs is very important. I see a lot of times where people think that everybody processes the world the way they do, but really nobody does, right? And so everybody is different. I have a couple I work with where one of the people in, in that couple loves to talk and process the the very small nuance of their day. Now we're talking gifted people that have high level jobs. So there's a lot of nuance, right? They love to process and talk about every little tiny thing. I have other people in, the, in that when they have a long, hard day or a day that's taken a lot out of them for any reason, they don't want to talk about it much at all. They want to have quiet time to recharge and then then enter the family or enter their social life kind of refreshed from alone time. Then I have people that use global terms, visionary terms, and then there's the people who use the precise strategy terms. So our needs are going to be different. Same thing with our intimacy. Intimacy means into me see. And so there's eight different levels of intimacy. If you want me to do a show on that, let me know in the, in the comments or send me an email and I'll do a show on that too. But the point is, is that that you're allowing someone in. Well, if you're highly stressed or you're shut down from burnout or a really long, hard day, it's harder to let somebody into your world. And what some people do, especially in a romantic relationship, is if that person needs space, the other person chases them. So then the couple creates this dance. I run, you chase. I run, you chase. And then we go the other way. They run, you chase. They run, you chase. And it's because the people aren't paying attention on a deeper level to the needs of the other person in order to be present in whatever the situation is. So the best thing to do in your relationship is ask. Have a conversation when it's not stressful, when there's not something going on. What is it 
that you need when you come home from work. Five minutes, you know, to decompress. You need to go outside. You know, I have gifted people that go for 30 minute walks, some people that sit outside in their backyard and enjoy the nature, other people that go on bicycle rides, other people that have a special chair. Um, this family has a lot of children, so they have a special chair. And when the parents, either one of them, because they both have stressful jobs, need like five minutes to themselves, that's the that's the um, timeout chair for the adults. So the kids are all old enough to know that if mommy or daddy are in that chair, they're off limits for now. And then when they feel rejuvenated, they come back and join. So there's a flow and a fluidness to the needs of people. And if you're a parent and you have children in the home or you're a person that is caring for your parent and so you have older people in the home paying attention to needs is important no two people have the same needs in the same situation it might look similar sometimes but it's not the same so it's very important for you to take such good care of yourself that you know what your needs are and that's where it starts understanding you then it's how do I communicate that and respect the boundaries around my needs with my other person in the relationship, whether it's a friend or whoever it is. You know, I used to I used to run big substance abuse treatment centers of all different kinds. And, and it used to be when they knew I was the director and I was one with the final say on whether they could go home on the weekend or whatever, whatever that the drama was, the people would lay and wait in the parking lot for me and as soon as I was getting out of the car, I even had this one place I was working with this one client like would open my door. And at first I'm thinking, well, that's really sweet. And then I realized, no, they were ambushing me so that I would give them a yes answer when I wasn't paying full attention. So I learned the habit of just saying, no, if you're going to ambush me, the answer is no, whatever it is. And so then I created a boundary after I started, you know, after I figured out what was going on. And the rule was if I was coming to work, you had to let me get out of my car to my office, put my bags down, sit down, get ready to lay out the day, and then you could ask for something from me. And until then, I'm not approachable and I won't answer you. If it's that big of an emergency, call 911. So the moment I instituted that boundary, then I was respected more because I respected myself more. And then for years after that, in all the treatment centers that I coordinated and directed after that, that was always my rule. And I never had that issue of being ambushed. And if somebody tried to ambush me in the hall or whatever, I would very quietly and clearly say, if you're asking me a question and I'm standing up, the answer is going to be no. Because that means you're catching me off guard. And I won't, ha I won't do that. If I'm sitting down and we're talking, then I'm happy to answer your question. So there's all kinds of ways to do it, it's my point, but it matters that you pay attention to your needs first so you know what your needs are and that you pay attention to the needs of the other person in the relationship or other people in the relationship. Now, coming into this is stress. We all handle stress differently and not all stress is bad. But what I want to talk about here is what we need from ourselves as far as self-care and self-love and self-compassion and from others when we have a lot of stress in our lives. Because sometimes we just have a long day and that's a different kind of support and connection in our gifted relationships than if it's just ongoing chronic stress that ends up turning maybe into burnout or something. Or stress from healing. A lot of people I work with, they're, they're on a journey to free themselves from old toxic 
patterns and situations and to come into a new expression of their life. They're evolving. And so that can be stressful. It takes a lot of energy to change. It takes a lot of work to make big alterations in how we've been doing things all the way down to our DNA. So how we handle stress is important. So I always suggest when things are not stressful to have a conversation about when you've had a hard day at work, how would you like me to be when you get home? When you're stressed out because of a deadline of work, I have a lot of people I work with have deadlines of things they have to turn in, right? Then when that's happening, how can I support you? And then it matters that you ask your other person in the relationship those same questions. When you're having a a difficult time, how can I support you? And then you want to also be clear on how do you need to support you? Because a gifted person under a lot of stress needs more minerals in their diet and a little bit more water because we're going through our water faster because of stress, because of the function of the cells. If it's a mental stress, like trying to get a cognitive project out, then often we might need to eat a little bit more protein and a little bit more frequently for that time. You know, I use bulletproof coffee sometimes for that, but there's all different kinds of ways to take care of yourself. But what are you doing and how are you talking about it? And how are you making sure that within this relationship, there's a meeting of the minds? Now, it's important that your meeting of the minds happens. And I've said this twice already, but I'm saying it again. It's important that the meeting of the minds, the conversation, the understanding, the agreement is when there is no challenge happening in that moment regarding the situation. Because if you make a decision in haste or in anger or frustration, like we should get a divorce or move out of the house, or I can't take this anymore, or you never understand me. Those are all heated expressions that may or may not be adequate, and they're probably not accurate at all. So to make a choice to enter a relationship of any kind or leave a relationship of any kind or change a relationship of any kind requires that you're aligned in your heart, your mind, and your soul, and so is the other person, and a meeting of the minds, dialogue that includes verbal and nonverbal communication is reached. So there's a lot of nuance here. Another big thing in this need category is processing speeds. I have a couple that I work with where one of them processes things so quickly, it's like lightning fast. And one of of this person's challenges is then fear sometimes comes in and then the fear kind of skews what they're seeing or what they're feeling. And so it can get jumbly in there. So that person has to learn how to to slow down their processing speed a little or give themselves an integration time after they've processed a situation so they can understand how they want to address it or act going forward. I also have um, people who go very slowly. I can throw out an idea in a meeting or say something and they go, "Uh uh-huh. And then they don't say anything back. And sometimes they don't even go, "Uh uh-huh. They don't even say they hear me. They just keep on going. And then in the next meeting or meetings, subsequent meetings after that, they will bring it up. And you said, blah, 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 three weeks ago, six months ago, whatever it was. And and now I see how this works. I have another client who frequently will say, you've said these kinds of things before, but it's landing on me differently now because of how much I've changed in the work we've done together. So 
it always is a matter of processing. It's always a matter of how we're growing. We grow in circles and in stages and it's not linear. And there's so many nuances and so many, so many facets here. So pay attention to the needs of the other people you're in relationship with, whoever they are. If you've been in a relationship with this person, whether it's a friendship or marriage or business partnership, whatever, for a long period of time, it's easy to believe that you know what's going on with the other person. You may not always be right because they could have made some changes or they could have had an aha or an epiphany or an evolution. Just they're different and you're not paying attention because you're acting off the old them. So every once in a while, check in with that relationship. Just check in, go to lunch, go to coffee go for a drive and just talk about the connection that you have, offer gratitude and appreciation for that person in your life. And then just talk about how it's going, like how you feel and what you love about things and all of that things and inquire if there's something that you could enhance. It doesn't mean that something's wrong. It means that we're open to understanding that we're always changing and evolving and our world is fluid nothing static. And we sometimes try to pretend like, oh, I know this person and they're always going to be the same. Not the, not the case. Nobody's the same every day, all the time. Now there's things that thread through. Yes. But the, we're not always the same. So sometimes your person, your partner, you know, could be growing and you don't even know it because you're just responding to their old version of them. And then pretty soon there'll be that rift. So if you check it in frequently, that's less likely that rift will happen. Now we want to talk a little bit about emotion management, um, how we handle our emotions. Gifted people tend to be intensely sensitive. And for me, I use that as a, as a special term for people who have overexcitabilities. So they're intense and they're spiritually sensitive. In other words, they're empaths or intuition, or they just feel things. They can understand what's going on in the world before others. And so how we manage our emotions around those things is important. It's easy to become fearful. It's easy to feel pressure to get it all done. I know when I used to get my intuitions, I used to think, oh my God, that's a great idea. I have to have it done, by, excuse me, by lunch or by, um, by the end of the weekend. Like it had to happen right then. Then I realized with a lot of frustration and pushing and turmoil and beating myself up, I've, I figured out way later with the help of a lot of other people going, well, hold on a second. Timing of it is up to you. It can come in really strong, but that doesn't mean it has to be done in 24 hours. And that was a wild concept to me because I thought if it came in strong, I had to do it right away. It was an emergency. Just because it comes in strong, it's not an emergency. So sometimes we will have to learn as gifted people, those simple, those simple things. Like now, when I say it's not an emergency, it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's not. But when I was in my 20s and my teenagers, I didn't know that. It felt really big and strong. And so I thought I had to do it right away. And so I ran into a lot of trouble in relationships because I was I was acting on this internal or, or this existential information I was getting intuitively and the people around me weren't getting that information. And my error when I was a teenager was I thought everyone had my gifts and everyone got the information I did. I thought we all had it the same. And those other people are either ignoring it or lazy or whatever. And I'm trying to motivate people and I'm trying to get things going based on what's happening with me with no awareness that that's not what was happening with them. So I learned very early to ask and find out what's really going on with other people. And I started seeing 
all of us are completely different. It's, it could be similar, but it's very different. So when something comes in strong, it doesn't have to be an emergency. We want to give ourselves permission to allow our own inner authentic emotional self to emerge. And that takes safety and trust in any relationship. Safety in a psychological manner, knowing I'm not going to get criticized or ridiculed for my emotions. I have been made fun of by employers, by coworkers, and by family members for the intensity of my emotion. I have lost friends and I have distanced myself from other people that they call friends because of being made fun of for the intensity of my emotion or ridiculed. I was, I've even had experienced physical abuse by partners for um, being emotional. Like um, my own mother said, my bladder was too close to my eyes. I have very intense emotions. And so I didn't know how to regulate them back then. I, there, nobody talked about emotional regulation that, that many years ago. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so for all of us, as we're gift, as we're moving through life and we're healing and rectifying and learning how to do our gifts, we can see where when they were turned up too high previous in our life, because we didn't know what we didn't know, probably there was stuff that was created that wasn't so fun. So it's important that we realize that our emotion management's really, really important. I know for me, you know, when I get really frustrated, I, I try to only have a few confidant people um, to talk to. And then the frustration goes, it, it, nothing's permanent. It all flows through. And I try to teach the people that I work with in their relationships to, to check in emotionally and understand that no two people manage their emotions the same. And no two people feel the emotions the same. So you might say, I'm happy. And then your partner might say, or your friend might say, they're happy. And if I dissected and started asking different questions like, where do you feel the happiness? What does that mean to you? How is this? And we looked at the chemistry. We would find some similarities, but many more variances. So even simple words that we use to describe our emotions can yield a response from another that may or may not go with what our own energy is. And in English, we have the fewest number of emotion words of any language. So going back to my bi and trilingual people, multilingual people, they have an advantage a lot of times because they have a long, bigger vocabulary set to describe what's happening. And to understand any word that you use to describe an emotion is a pointer. It's like um, a one-way sign. It's pointing at something. It's an arrow. It's not the emotion. The word is not the emotion. The word is a descriptor of the emotion. So as a gifted person, you will have emotions that there are no words for. Because in English, we don't have a word. It doesn't mean you're not having that feeling. It doesn't mean that emotion's not in there. It means there's no word. And it doesn't mean you're wrong because there's no word. It means the language is inadequate because there's no word. And it's important to realize that. So then um, we want to make sure that we honor the listener. Because sometimes we come home and we tell the whole long story. I have a friend who said, I'm the one who can make your short stories long. Well, sometimes I don't have time for the long story. Sometimes I do. So if somebody is about to tell me a long story, then it's okay for me to set a boundary and say, well, I only have five minutes. You know, I got a client soon or whatever it is. Or sometimes it's, I want to get into the whole story. I love all the richness of storytelling. So check in if you're the one telling the story. Check in if you're the one listening. Just check in on the emotions. How are you feeling? Really? If somebody says to me, if I say, how are you feeling? And they say, good. My response is this. 
if good was a feeling, how would it feel? Or if they say, I'm okay, I'm getting by. I don't know what that means. Those aren't feeling words. Those are idioms that just basically are superficial. And if I really want to know how you're feeling and I asked, I'll say, if just getting by was a feeling, how would it feel? Now, typically that confuses people for a minute and then they can tell me a little bit. So when you ask, how are you feeling to someone, make sure you slow down enough to listen. I had this little thing I used to do, I guess back in the eighties is, um, and I worked in a hospital at the time and people go, Hey, how you doing? You know, because that's this social niceness. That's sweet. So I did this little experiment and, um, I was learning about answering the real question and slowing down to say those things. I was playing with it. And one of my ways to really get dialed into the importance of listening with our heart and our mind was that people would go by and go, Hey, how you doing? And they, and of course we would keep walking and, and the pace would just be the same. Right. No, there was really barely a hesitation. It was mostly like um, just an acknowledgement that the other person was there. Now, at the time, I I didn't know didn't know it quite in the way I know it now. I was learning it, so I remember going, "Do you really want to know?" And somebody say, "How are you feeling?" I'd say, "Do you really want to know?" Half the time, the person would go, "Yeah, yeah, great," because they didn't hear what I said back. They were already past me, and they they were conditioned to go, "Hey, how you doing?" Okay, that's great. No matter what the person utters back. They're not listening. Now, in that situation, is deep listening appropriate? No. But in gifted people, sometimes we tend to be very specific and very right on point and um, very direct. And so sometimes for a gifted person, they might expect the person to stop and answer. If you're going to ask me how I'm feeling, then stop and listen to the answer to the question. If you don't want to know how I'm feeling, don't ask me that. Just say hi. So sometimes just the social constructs, the social things that other people do are unfamiliar and uncomfortable for a gifted person who lives with a much more um, nuanced and deep kind of way of living. And so if you say, how are you doing? I'm going to answer you the question because you asked me. I remember one time at my yacht club that happened. I was an adult and I already kind of knew a lot of this stuff. And and um, I had been gone for a while from the club and I came back on a night where there were a ton of people around I knew and they were all they all wanted to know how I was. It was after a car accident. And um, some people wanted to hear how it was. Some people didn't want to hear how it was, but they all said the same question. So I had to use kind of my my discernment to know, am I answering the question for this person or am I saying I'm just glad to be here? No, None of the answers are wrong. They were all true. Nobody was wrong for answering that question. But there's always the second question. There's always the nuance that goes under it of meaning and depth and connection and relationship. So as your relationship grows and you invest in it and the other person invests in it, there's going to be shifts and changes in how things are expressed it, and the nuances and the words and the vocabulary and the emotions as the person is psychologically safe and you're more safe. And so all relationships go through ebbs and flows and shifts and changes. And just because we may or may not connect on a certain thing at a certain time, doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, this is terrible. That No, we don't throw away things like that. We really spend a minute to say, how are things really working? Now, the last part of this um, that I really want to talk about quickly is intensities. Gifted people are very intense. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially intense. 
So when your gift is turned up too loud, it becomes a liability. So the idea that we have to bring all of us to the table all the time for everything puts us at a disadvantage. It puts us at a place of being burnt out. It puts us in a place of being misunderstood. It is a liability. Not in all situations should all parts of your gifted intensities be turned up all the way out loud. So your gifts turned out loud, turned up too loud, become your liability. They're, they become an issue for you and the other person and whoever else you're speaking with. Gifted people often don't like like um, rooms and environments that are full of a lot of background chaos, noise, or bad acoustics, and then they have to focus. That's difficult. It's difficult for a lot of people. There's all kinds of things. So it matters that you pay attention to your intensity and you know what they are and you know what your limits are. It matters that you communicate these intensities to the people that you're in relationship with so they understand. It matters that if you know that if there's too many people in a networking event and and the decibel level gets too high, that you're going to be found in the bathroom or the hallway or pretty soon just leaving because of the noise, not because of the people. It matters that you communicate those things in a way that is meaningful to you and the listener, your the person you're in relationship with, but most importantly, it matters you honor it in yourself. So self-care and self-discernment, what's important to you is important to you because it's important to you. It's not right. It's not wrong. You shouldn't be treated differently because of it, and you shouldn't expect other people to treat you differently because of it and have healthy boundaries. So if I go to a situation and it's really noisy and it's uncomfortable for me and I choose to exit it, it's not the person's fault who's having the party that's got a lot of noise. And I don't expect them to make sure that it's a quiet party with only classical music and introverts there. It's their party. So what do you expect from other people? How are you communicating your intensities? How are you taking care of yourself? Right? Our brains tell us that everyone's like us. The truth is no one is. You have a big family, everybody in your family, even if you're all gifted or if you're not gifted, everyone's different. Everyone processes differently. So to assume that certain people do certain things, certain ways, and that's how we'll always be, is a big error. We're all always growing and shifting and changing. And if we're tired, our experience is going to be different than when we're fulfilled and rested. If we're afraid or we're anxious or we're stressed, our response is going to be different than when we're rested and aligned. So that's why self-care and self-awareness is so very important for gifted people in all of our relationships. Awareness of ourselves and awareness of the others. But if we're not aware of what's going on with us and we're not taking care of ourselves, it makes any relationship a little trickier and more difficult. So I hope some of these things have, have helped you. I could go on for a long time. I work with many, many gifted couples and gifted families where I have, you know, children and sometimes adult children, but children involved too, because what happens is things can go awry. Things can get sticky. And sometimes having another gifted person who is a really good mentor like me, who can translate and bridge experience and language and help people understand the other 
pays off because those aha moments help rectify and heal and smooth out static and, and, and things that aren't working so well in any kind of relationship. I've worked with um, boards of businesses where I fly into a board meeting and help translate people uh, translate for people. And it's like, wow, this person sees things, this person hears things, this person uses a whole different language set. And I'm sitting there listening and I happen to be a really amazing translator. And so I was able to say, well, you're all saying the same thing, really. There's some nuance difference, but really you're all talking about the same idea and you're arguing because you're using different words and you're assigning your definition of the word to that person. And they're using a different definition of that word. Their operational definition is different. So sometimes it just takes doing the operational definition. Sometimes it takes understanding nuance and intensity. And so I love to do that. I, I do it with my the families I work with. Almost every person as an adult who has a spouse or a business partner at some point brings that person in and we have conversations about how to make things work more effectively. Because being in a relationship as a gifted person and with a gifted person has a lot of challenges. It also has the most amazing amount of rewards, joy, and happiness in the world. This is why my work is relational, not transactional. Why when I engage with somebody and I accept someone into my work, into my mentor family, so to speak, I'm available to them all the time, pretty much. I mean, as long as I'm not with somebody else or sleeping or something, and I've even got come out of sleep, been wakened up and helped out in the middle of the night because when we need something, we need to know someone has our back. And I prefer to do that versus the typical model of, well, you only get to talk about what you need or want or what's happening during a prescribed length of time meeting, 45 or 50 minutes. Most of my meetings go an hour, over an hour. Because how you work with you matters to me. How our relationship unfolds matters to me. Yes. That's a different idea than how some people in the world operate in their relationships. They see it as more transactional. That's not my experience. Most gifted people like deeper relationships. They may not know how to get there. They may not know what to do with them. That's why they have someone like me in their life. But that's what they really want is they want connection and belonging. So I hope these have helped you feel more connected to you. I hope you've had some ahas in your own relationships and to allow yourself to feel connected to a group, to people, and to have that sense of belonging that we all yearn for. We all yearn for it. So remember, friends, until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, that you're a rock star and you're here on purpose with a mighty purpose. So go out there, build relationships with yourself and with others that have meaning and depth, where you're safe and where you offer safety. And it's in those moments that your belonging and your connection and your love can flourish into the world and through your whole being. Until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.